This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I began Self Work six years ago to try to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be in therapy but are interested in another clinician's point of view. Maybe those of you who've just been diagnosed with something or you're looking for some relationship answers, or those of you who might be a bit skeptical (laughs) of therapy in general and think psychology is a little weird. If you're here because you're searching for something, then I hope that self-work will help you find it. The term cancel culture came to be around 2016, and according to the dictionary, it's the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. Its primary venue is social media, but it doesn't simply pertain to celebrities. It can actually happen to anyone, and there's substantial controversy about it, whether it's fair, whether it's bad or good, whether it's new, or has it been around for a while, but in different forms. Certainly in families. Cancel culture looks like estrangement, and it's been around quite a long time. How is estrangement defined? Parents can distance themselves from children. Adult children can stop coming around, as the term goes. Friendships can end. The root of the word in Latin is extraneare. Any of you who speak Latin, please, I'm sure I've crucified that. And it means treat as a stranger. It can be chosen by you. You can choose to distance yourself from someone in your life, or it can be chosen for you, meaning that someone can estrange themselves from you. It can be a painful part of any relationship where there has formerly been affection or trust or mutual respect. And that relationship ends. Sometimes the separation is needed or even healthy. So it can be painful or not so painful. It also can be connected to a dynamic called parental alienation, and we're going to talk about all those things. And of course, how do the stereotypes of family and the holidays make the pain of estrangement even worse? The listener email today is from a mom who's been a listener for quite some time, but a tragedy has occurred in her family, and she's asking for some advice. I need to give you a trigger warning here. Her daughter has been sexually abused, so please listen with care. First, we want to hear from one of our sponsors, BetterHelp, whose help you may need when you're faced with loss or trauma. The most common problem I hear from those seeking therapy is how hard it is to find a therapist, how long it takes, how vulnerable you feel asking around for names, how far you might have to travel to get to their office. BetterHelp solves those problems. After you make the first contact, Their standard is to offer names of therapists to you in less than two days. And you can talk to them in a first session to see if it's a good fit. And if so, you're on your way. But if not, rather than going through an awkward call or email, you simply let BetterHelp know and they'll ask what it was you didn't like and find someone else for you. This very caring process takes so much of the responsibility and the vulnerability out of it for you. Now, that doesn't mean you won't feel vulnerable in actual therapy. But the time and difficulty of finding someone is what they handle for you. And of course, since you can text, chat, or talk virtually, then all of those avenues are open to you. Their counselors are licensed professionals, LPCs, psychologists, social workers, men, women. They have different specialties, just like in your community. 
and they can focus on what you need where you are in your life. The pandemic forced many counselors to work virtually, myself included, but what I learned is that virtual work feels different, but I also found it very helpful and for some people much easier. So here's their offer for self-work listeners, 10% off your first month of sessions if you use this link, betterhelp.com slash self-work. That's betterhelp.com slash self-work. In a recent New York Times article, a study was cited by Carl Pilmer, who's written a new book called Fault Lines, Fractured Families and How to Mend Them. Here's what he reports, and I quote, In a new book based on the first ever national survey on estrangement and in-depth interviews with 100 men and women who achieved a reconciliation, Carl A. Pilmer, a family sociologist and professor at Cornell University, discovered that family rifts were surprisingly pervasive and often result in long-standing emotional and physical distress. His random survey of 1,340 individuals suggested that, quote, about 25% of the population is living with an active estrangement. For some of these approximately 67 million people, it doesn't make much difference, but most people experience the rupture as aversive. That means painful. This figure astounded me, even though I've heard many, many stories of grandparents disappearing from the scene after an argument or a misunderstanding, good friends parting ways suddenly, although they may not even know or remember exactly what happened, neighbors who used to spend holidays together now building literal fences to keep their distance. There can be a lingering wistfulness about a relationship's demise, and also it can be extremely painful to bear. In an interview with Gretchen Rubin, Dr. Pilmer further states, There's a very popular view that in contemporary society, family bonds just aren't important anymore. We are supposedly in a period where social norms holding families together have weakened and attachment and obligation among relatives has disappeared. That simplistic view, however, is incorrect. Indeed, after spending years studying family rifts, one thing became clear, how much families still matter. But let's talk about what can cause estrangement. And as always, what you can do about it. I'll be quoting Dr. Pilmer, but as usual, I'll add in my own experience to what he's saying and give you some examples. So let's get started. The first cause is experiencing a difficult or abusive childhood. Abusive parenting, harsh parenting, memories of parental favoritism, people sometimes don't get over those. And when they see or allow themselves to consider estrangement as an option, they'll take it. That allowing process, however, can be fraught with difficulties, strange feelings of disloyalty, feeling that you should buck up, that it's in the past, a discomfort with how it may look to other people, and a recognition that if you distance or even formally detach, that rift may remain permanent. And it also can have a cascading effect on other family relationships. If you ban an abusive mom, maybe your sister will rush in to protect her and you'll lose her as well. It's not an easy decision, but one that can be healing. Let's talk about Leslie. Leslie had been sexually abused by her father every day from age four until she began having more control over his access to her. She couldn't understand because he treated her other siblings quite well, but she was there to work on the farm and be abused by him. 
At every turn, he would manipulate and use her. Her mom tried in small ways to make up for his treatment, but she remained silent most of the time. After high school, Leslie left home, never to return again. She told her mother and sister about the abuse. Her mom believed her, but her sister was unsure. After all, his treatment of her had been so special. Leslie had had a rough life and was repeating some of the patterns of her childhood when we began working together, meaning that she was in relationships that were abusive to her. So we focused on her healing. She began being more assertive and not believing she was a bad person or at fault all the time. She began to expect more in relationships, and we worked on her ability to believe in her own worth. She also set boundaries for her father and would no longer even accept mail from him. Eventually, she did go home to see her mother, but made sure her father was no longer around, threatening him with telling his secret to other people if he tried. She worked so hard on understanding that none of the abuse was her fault, and so she could regain her sense of power. Dramatically, her mom, as she was dying, sent Leslie a message. He wasn't your father. I'm so sorry. And suddenly, the mystery was revealed. He'd been punishing her and his wife, her mom. She healed the relationship with her sister, but remained estranged from the man who'd been her abuser. So, you can see that this kind of estrangement can be powerful, But even then, there's often stigma, like you're doing something wrong by establishing a no-contact order, especially at this time of the year when there can be extra focus on getting together with family. How do you talk about your estrangement? Do you mention it at all? Call it something else? There can be fears about what people think about you. Maybe you're the one at fault. Maybe you did something terrible, or others will wonder. Here's my advice. People can judge anything about you, the way you dress, to other basic things. You can challenge that fear of judgment. Estrangement happens. Relationships end sometimes poorly and sometimes for a really good reason. If it becomes a pattern, then maybe you do need to look at what's going on, that you become connected with someone and then suddenly end the relationship. That's one thing. But becoming estranged in and of itself occurs much more than is recognized, just as Dr. Pilmer has said. Before we go on to the second cause of estrangement, let's hear from Ozark Mountain Medicine and their CBD products. Diagnosed with degenerative disc in my back when I was in my 20s, I've long been a seeker of alternative ways to help reduce inflammation, and I can't believe that the best product I've ever found is produced here in Northwest Arkansas. Ozark Mountain Medicine Located on a small boutique farm in the Ozark Mountains under the careful watch of CBD guru Bill Morgan is a grassroots operation which produces some of the highest quality CBD available on the market. Unlike marijuana, which contains THC, which is what makes it mood-altering, CBD isn't the same and is legal in all states. Ozark Mountain Medicine's products contain at least 16 varieties of hemp, where other CBD products may use only one. Think of it as a healing gumbo for your joint and muscle aches, and you've got the picture. What's most important to me and to you is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my life that I needed to be reassessed for back surgery, and three times I've kept walking, getting massages, and for the last three years, steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form, or calming salves are available, which is what I prefer. The other benefits of taking it include immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's their fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash self-work, and you'll receive 10% off your order 
I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. That code again is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose. So try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself. Glad you're back. Dr. Pilmer gives the second cause of estrangement as divorce, no matter actually when that divorce happens in the life cycle. Children are more likely to lose contact with fathers, the research shows, but the disruption can weaken the ties to actually both parents. If children are put in the middle of the conflict, if one parent tries to win the children's affection or for them to be on their side, that can be real trouble. And this sadly happens a good deal. So the children will be much more affected by the divorce, whether they're children or adults. What this can indicate on an adult level or on a parental level is that the two people still are fighting their fight. As I might say, they're not emotionally divorced from one another. The worst case scenario for this is what's called parental alienation. What is it? It's when one parent, who usually has severe characterological issues, manipulates and dictates how the other parent is seen and thought about. The child basically becomes the emotional caretaker of the alienating parent and bonds with them over their hatred. The alienating parent has little to no insight in whatever is healthy about them, and they often do have intense problems with emotional regulation, but they often express blame and disgust toward their ex. It's heartbreaking. I've seen it occur in many ways from the refusal for normal give and take to happen, or there's no effort by one parent to try to maintain an amicable relationship after a divorce so as not to hurt the child or children even more. But it can become even more dramatic. Other family members can constantly berate the ex and be part of translating all of the other parent's actions as bad or uncaring. Divorce decrees are enforced so rigidly that there's absolutely no give and take. Parents stay in emotional blaming mode with one another. Or it can be much more subtle, where the alienating parent can provide more material things, more money, or be a Disney parent. Even accusations of sexual abuse by the innocent parent or a new step-parent can occur, where there's no basis in reality. Obviously, this needs to be checked out, but it certainly can occur that it is a myth promoted to the child. And I quote from a recent Forbes article, In parental alienation, ultimately the child believes the alienator's viewpoint, because in order to provide support to this parent, he or she must do so. The choice for the child to not only emotionally support this parent has not been possible since their birth. There were already lines drawn. You are mine. Parental alienation has occurred when the child becomes actually another instrument of destruction against the targeted parent. The child can completely and wholly adopt the alienating parent's viewpoint, and the cycle is complete. The child is without any empathy towards the targeted parent and sees them only through the eyes of the alienating parent. You can hear the drastic problems here. What can you do? If you're the alienator, you have to look at your own issues, which isn't likely to occur without treatment. But for the parent alienated, taking care of yourself as best you can while also seeking legal counsel and professional therapy which of course can be problematic if accusations of sexual abuse has occurred. Try to see what you do have control over and focus on that. Let friends help you and give you support, and try not to ruminate, but grieve instead. There's a difference. 
rumination is being obsessive in your thinking, your mind constantly erasing around in your head, whereas grieving is feeling what you need to feel. A quest for revenge is also a hurdle, understandable in many ways, but fueling your own anger is not likely to be helpful. Take responsibility for what may be yours to take and try to find your courage. Dr. Pilmer quotes the third cause as when someone in the family you grew up in thinks you've married the wrong person and you're put in the position of having to choose between parents and your partner, or it can happen the other way around. Your own mate, having put up with your parent or sibling, states unequivocally that they're done and refuses to continue with that effort. Of course, some of these boundaries are being expressed due to very disrespectful or unhealthy things that occur, and your partner has reached their limit. But that decision or viewpoint can have dramatic consequences for what occurs next, and children can obviously be very affected. Healthier couples can talk about what kind of boundaries they want to set with people who don't approve of their partnership, or who they want and or need to distance themselves from. But so often the rejection is unexpected and may emerge from an argument or perceived hurt or grievance that could be possibly healed. Instead, one or both parties withdraw in anger and blame. What can you do to try to prevent this from happening? You can do your best to be open with yourself and your partner about any resentments you might have toward their family. And if you're the parent who doesn't like a partner or spouse, you probably need to back off unless there is some kind of abuse going on. And even then, you have to be careful so that you don't create a situation where communication is dropped altogether. No one wants to choose between their parent and their partner. Again, if there's actual abuse going on, that's a tricky situation, but one that's important to address. Then, number four, the reason for estrangement is money. Wills and other legal documents after someone's death especially can become fodder for distrust and estrangement. There can be a lot of resentment around how inheritances are distributed. You can divide your money among your kids, but you can't divide tangible property like heirlooms or a summer house. So many people have their yardsticks out to measure what's fair, and if they feel left out or taken advantage of, they can withdraw or see you as the enemy. And an estrangement is created. I've heard far too many times, oh, we haven't seen them since Dad died. And then I hear about conflict over money. The same can be true for business dealings or loans not repaid. So I guess you really have to decide what's important to me, the relationship or what I did get or didn't get. That's a choice you have to make. The last two causes of estrangement that Dr. Pilmer mentions are unmet expectations. When, for example, one of your brothers or sisters doesn't follow through with something they said they would do with aging parents. And so that sibling says, not going to have anything to do with you anymore. You're out of my life. But something about one person had expectations that the other person continued to not fill, and the other person is just done. So finally, there are lifestyle and value discrepancies, especially in parent and child relationships. You may be someone who's come out as gay or lesbian. Perhaps you had a religious change of heart. Or, as we have seen here in the United States, and really is happening all over the world, even different politics can now act as a barrier rather than having a discourse and trying to find things that we can understand and respect about the way our parent feels or our child feels, we begin thinking of them as bad because they're living the life they're living. We all have to live with those kinds of situations, and the way you handle them is, of course, up to you, 
But how do you want to look back on your life 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? What's really the most important thing to you? So again, what can you do about it? You can take responsibility for whatever part of the dispute or conflict is yours. What old wounds could you be carrying around that prevent you from being open to reconciliation? And of course, you have to decide whether or not you truly want to re-enter the relationship. And that answer might be no. But if it's yes, I've missed them, or yes, I don't even remember how things got so bad in the first place, then perhaps you could choose to risk reaching out. But if you choose not to, if the hurt or abuse that was experienced means that staying away is your answer, then you can create another kind of family, a family of chosen friends. The important factor is that you feel connected and loved. Our listener email today is a little bit long. I've cut it down, but I needed to make sure you understand all the details. And again, here's a trigger warning. There's sexual abuse that's talked about. And here's the email. I found myself listening to some of your previous podcasts on trauma and healing in an effort to find some peace. Though I have not met you, your words have resonated with me during a time that I am struggling alone to make sense of an incident that recently affected my family. My 19-year-old daughter had been behaving differently the last month or two. She's a few hours away at college, and my husband and I both noticed that she'd been aloof and irritable with us for a few weeks. She would occasionally, over the phone, make statements telling us she was depressed and really struggling, so we encouraged her to talk to someone, and in addition, her academic advisor suggested some therapist resources that our insurance would cover. Her response was that she needed a specific type of therapist and wanted a woman. A month later, our daughter finally told us that she and her boyfriend of five years had broken up. We were actually quite shocked by this because he's a wonderful young man and they seem to have a lovely relationship. She then elaborated and said that she and a friend had gone out one evening to a bar. My daughter ran into another young man that she knew quite well and he offered to buy her and the friend drinks. My daughter did say the drink was strong and after a few drinks she was drunk and vaguely remembers him taking her phone and giving it to the bartender. When it was time to go home, they couldn't find the friend, so this man offered to call an Uber and make sure she got home. When they got to the house where she lives, the guy walked her in. Next thing she recalls is saying thank you for walking her down and then snippets of being nearly passed out, having sex, asking him to stop, waking up covered in her own vomit and in complete confusion. Her boyfriend came to the house and immediately took her to the hospital. The roommate went to the bar to get the phone. At the hospital, they did a rape kit due to the injuries and trauma, but my daughter refused to a full internal exam. The doctor noted she was injured, and there were hand marks on her neck, wrists, and elbows. Additionally, she was bleeding internally. The doctor notified police, but my daughter again refused to press charges. She also requested that her family not be notified, which is why we didn't find out for a whole month. My daughter still seems reluctant to get in-person help. She has found an online support group and has been EFT tapping, which she says helps her. She also ended her five-year relationship with her boyfriend. He was a good, stable companion in her life, but she started nitpicking everything about him. She told him she wants to break up so she can heal. We've told our daughter we support her and would encourage her to press charges, but she refuses. She also doesn't want to discuss anything about the incident or the relationship with the ex. We are all hurting and in pain. We don't know how to pick up any of the fragmented pieces and heal. We want our daughter to heal, but worry she can't do that without help and owning the story. 
Her isolation and irritability at anything we ask about the ex is also baffling to us. We just don't know how to go forward. Do you have any further insight on what we could do? So here's my answer. First of all, I'm so sorry that this has happened to your daughter and to your family. Sadly, I've heard stories like this many times. But it's not a story for you nor for your daughter. It's her life, and something emotionally traumatic and physically damaging has hurt her. It sounds like she's pulling away from others, and there could be many reasons why. Shame is a primary one, for even when violence like this is random, even when rationally she knows that she was targeted, if she's like so many other victims, she'll feel shame. And thus, opening herself up after she's already felt completely out of control is very difficult. Since she was drinking, the blame game is even harder to combat. Now, of course, these are educated guesses for me, but perhaps they're close to what is going on. Rape is an act about power, and she was completely overpowered. So now, she may be looking for a way to empower herself, and for now, she's making decisions to close herself off. Of course, that makes it very difficult for those who love her. I always tell my patients who've been sexually abused or abused in any way that the last thing therapy needs to do is re-victimize them, meaning that I want my patient to know they are in charge so they have control of what questions they answer or what we talk about. Perhaps that thinking will help you. And I say you can also offer my own podcast or writings about sexual abuse from my website, drmargaretrutherford.com. You know, what's so important here is to realize that this young woman's reality her trust in some man that she knew, her feelings of being with a friend that was going to keep her safe, and then something happened, and the next moment was nothing that she could have predicted, is horrific. And it is important for her to deal with it at some time. But you have to be ready, because even just talking about it can make you feel very, very vulnerable and once again out of control. So I would certainly encourage this young woman to seek a trauma therapist And I think that her wanting a woman is obviously understandable. But in order to heal, she really does need to deal with it. But again, it has to be on her own time. Thank you so much for being here today. And I want to especially thank Music Download Master, who left me a review about two or three weeks ago. I found this podcast in January 2022 and began listening at episode one. Wow. By then, there were more than 200 episodes. I listened to one episode every day this year until I cycle through all of them, more than 300 in total. Most of them I saved in my library, and now I'm making a second pass through them. What I like, they're short and easy to fit into a morning work commute or dog walk. She said, the episodes got longer as the years rocked on. (laughs) I had to realize that that's probably true. But most are still around 30 minutes or less, which is perfect for me. There's a wide variety of topics. There are always what you can do about it. And isn't that the point of self-work? Then she says, Dr. Margaret makes herself available. She encourages voice and email messages and responds to as many as she can. It shows that her heart is really for helping others in their struggles. I highly recommend you subscribe and listen to every episode. I'll bet 90% will be useful to you or someone you know. And while you're at it, get the book Perfectly Hidden Depression and work through the exercises in it. I'm just blown away. One, of course, this is an incredibly wonderful review, but boy, she gave me some great points to think about. After I've read this, I've tried to make these a little shorter. (laughs) So I do read it, and it means a lot to me that you left it here. I'd love for any and all of you to also leave 
a review wherever you listen, especially on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, because that's such a major way that people find self-work. And thanks to also to this listener for the plug about Perfectly Hidden Depression. I've been able to speak to people, everyone from construction workers to medical management people to professors to clinicians, and I'm so excited about spreading the message. So you can pick up a copy anywhere you can find books or ebooks or audiobooks. Again, I announced last week that I'm having to have surgery. That surgery has been put off until December the 12th. But basically what that means is a facial surgery. I'm going to have to take some time to recover so that hopefully my speech will come back and be crystal clear. My surgeon assures me that that will happen, but it may take me a little bit. So I have some wonderful guest hosts, and then we'll also be broadcasting some of the interviews I've had in the recent weeks, some great books and some great authors. So thank you to my team and everyone who's helping that happen. Again, please take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.